Here we are again on our own. How did, how did you not get become a rock singer in your lifetime? I don't know. It's just one of those mysteries of life. It truly is. <laughs> and the world is a lesser place because of that. I believe that is accurate as well. And my bank account is also lesser because of it. <laughs> I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You start fleet officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the prophets. Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Listen to the Prophets. I'm the new addition on a regular basis, David Pascarella, and I'm joined with... Well, we have to introduce Takamata. ourselves. <laughs> then we, gotta re- we, gotta, we have to rethink Dave as a co-host. <laughs> I'm Takamata. You can't talk Takamata anything. Hey, Takamata, what do you say? Just come back from order to fay. Order to fay? What's an order to fay? Jordan to do what you do anyway. Brumpa. So I'm Paul Spataro. Anybody I'm else I'm not here? Paul Spataro. And I'm not Paul Spataro. Today on Tell what? the Prophet. Oh, sorry. To tell the truth. To tell the prophets. Yeah, you see the I'm... three of us sitting in the chairs all pretending to be the one who's going to stand up. <laughs> oh, 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 that was such oh, a goofy oh, oh, oh. show. Anybody old enough to remember to tell the truth? Oh, they, it came back. It's been on It's been on ABC. Did like a, a, They've relaunched it. Like in their summer of game shows, they've to bring it back. All they've got, you know, uh, pressure luck with the whammies. And uh, but this is not an ABC game show relaunch podcast. So enough of that. No, this is a Mel Brooks podcast, and we're <laughs> going to talk about the Inquisition. <laughs> what a show! Here we go. Are we ready? Are uh, we set? Well, any any Star Trek news? Oh, Andy needs to tell the story of uh, the video he got at the uh, was it the London Comic Con? Yeah, London Film and Comic Con. Uh, I went to London Film and Comic Con this week, uh, this week, this month, ostensibly so my daughter could meet some guy from the Vampire Diaries. <laughs> but uh, whilst we were there, William Shatner was there, so I met William Shatner. Uh, that's on my bucket list, by the way. He's one of the few celebrities I will still pay to see. Yeah, well, that's he, that's where he is on mine as well. Uh, one of the few that I would shell out money for. Uh, and But while I was there, uh, Shazid Latif was there also. So I went up to him and asked him if he would record a video for Bill. Um, and he, he, he did. And if we can strip the audio, we'll put it in here. Hi, Bill. This is Clem Fandango. Can you hear me? That's, that was very cool of him, and it was very cool of you to ask him to do it. Yeah, it was really, it was really fun, and he seemed to, he seemed to enjoy it as well. Especially seeing as he didn't have Toast of London on his little "What I've Done" CV thing in the background. <laughs> oh, so Everything it was kind of like a, it was like a deep cut. He was, he was so he was yeah. maybe got a chuckle that someone asked him yeah. for that, and not you know to say yeah. "Vok." 
Well, I've seen, I've seen, I'd seen people around in. Um, can you hear me, Clem Fandango? T-shirts. Which, thank you very much for that birthday gift. I appreciate that, sir. Oh, it's alright. Um, so you know, I mean, maybe it's only got a little culty following Toast of London, but I think it's really funny. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, sir. That was great. That that it. When I first saw it, it made my week, and I periodically go back and just to get a smile. To get a hello. And you, you guys had a great idea when we were talking in um, the episode we did on the documentary that I should take that audio and I should try to make it my alarm. Yeah. <laughs> Can you hear me, Bill? <laughs> so it was very nice of him to record that as Clem Fandango. He even makes the face, too, in the he video. Does. He, yeah. he's, he, he's got like that pause like like with his lip, like, mm. Mm, okay. Sweet. Yeah. I just I just expect you to be. Yes, I can fucking hear you, Clem Fandango. <laughs> oh, I said. Yes, yes, I can hear you, Clem Fandango. <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't, if you have no idea what we're talking about, Toast of London is a Channel Four sitcom about pretentious uh, theatre actor Stephen Toast, played by the lovely Matt Berry, and the the episodes just basically follow his ineptitude as he tries to get more and more acting jobs. Uh, it features really funny guest appearances by people. Peter Davison was in an episode. Uh, there's one that I watched the other day that hasn't aged terribly well, where he's trying to impress Kevin Spacey. Thankfully, Kevin Spacey isn't actually in the show. So that was nice. Uh, but it's real. I really like it. I think it's really funny. And Matt Berry is a national treasure. <laughs> he's also in the TV version of What We Left Behind, not What We Left Behind, of What We Do in the Shadows, which is absolutely brilliant if you've never watched it. I keep hearing good things, and it's on my, in my queue, but uh, I'm, I'm actually currently finally getting to some of the Netflix Marvel series that I had been neglecting. So I'm almost I'm towards the end of season two of Jessica Jones uh, but I will get what we do in shadows I will get to it at some point because mm, he's very funny in that it's, I love Matt Barry. I think he's great so Toast to London I believe it is on American Netflix as well as British yes. Netflix because I think yes. Channel 4 have a deal with, with worldwide Netflix so go and look at it So because uh, every episode opens with the Clem Fandango gag every episode opens with Stephen Toast recording a voiceover for something and these two pretentious assholes behind the, the glass one of them is Shazid Latif who is Clem Fandango yeah. and every, every time he presses the button to talk to uh, to Toast he says Stephen can you hear me this is Clem Fandango yes I can hear you Clem Fandango <laughs> Well, he, he won't actually respond until Toast says uh, uh, yes. yes. Until he says yes. I yes, I can f***ing hear you, Clem Fandango. And it's not just he says it once in the episode. He says it every time he presses the button to talk yeah. to him. Because <laughs> repetition is funny. <laughs> and he just does a deadpan. But then when Steven looks away... When Matt Barry lo- looks away, the two guys in the booth, they're purposely doing it just to annoy him. Yeah, they're doing it to wind. There's a brilliant episode where they, they find a, a little person who can do Matt Barry's voice. So they start bringing him to do all of Toast's voiceovers because they've had enough of working with Toast. But it's the episode where Toast gives away the ending of a long-running London play and reveals that uh, he accidentally walked in on Stanley Kubrick filming the moon landings. So the CIA send a sniper to kill him. (laughs) It's a really good episode. That sounds great, actually. Ray effing purchase. (laughs) Ray bloody purchase. It's very good. You should go and check it out. That's his nemesis in the show. Nemesis? Exactly. Back to Star Trek. Mm -hmm. 
Well, we uh, never left pretty- Star Trek, considering he plays Ash Tyler. He does. He, he's yeah, Ash yeah. Tyler. Um, I don't know if we've got anything to... Oh, did we talk about Brent Spiner being in Picard and Jerry Ryan being in Picard and Jonathan Frakes being in Picard? And Actually, Louis Bill Sertis. and I discussed the uh, trailer a little bit in a, a Bins episode, but we haven't discussed it on here, so we should touch on it a little bit. Yep, the trailer's dropped for Picard, which um, the big surprise for me was Jerry Ryan. I didn't know Jerry Ryan was going to be in it, so that was a nice surprise. There's a Bogue ship in it. It all looks it all looks okay. I hope it's not going to suck. Time it, will tell. It, you know, we there was whatever uh, podcast that you shared with us where they discuss it, and they were very very down on it. They they just seemed to think it was. Uh, you know, going to be just oh, that was the video on YouTube, yeah, yeah, gratuitous yeah. action and no, uh, you know, no depth to it, and I certainly didn't get that impression myself. I thought that it, uh, you know, that that it had a, a sufficient amount of action, but there's there was no reason for me to feel that there wasn't going to be characterization. So I was a little not bothered, but just in disagreement with the uh, reviewers of of the trailer. Well, we haven't seen enough of it yet to make that call. I that's, mean, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, well, everything in that trailer would have been cultivated for that trailer because we do now live in an era where they finish shots first that they know they're going to put in the trailer. And sometimes those shots don't actually end up being in the finished product. So, you know, it's, it's too early to say what it's going to be and what it's going to be about. And they're only releasing to us the people that are in it because obviously they're going to be seen on sound stages and they can't keep that a secret. But I, I when Brent Spiner stepped down from Supergirl and was replaced by Bruce Boxleitner, my first thought was, right, he's going to be in Picard then, isn't he? Mm, that was my I, first inkling that Brent Spiner was going to be in Picard, that he had to turn Supergirl down. He was supposed to play the president? Yes, he was supposed to be Bruce Boxleitner's role. And oh. it was it was close to filming when Brent actually backed out. I think Boxleitner is better in that role. I, I do. I, Bruce, Bruce Boxleitner plays slimy politicians brilliantly. Yes. So he, he was really well cast in it. And I think Boxleitner was probably ended up being the better cast actor in mm-hmm. that particular part. Because let's be honest, no one else is going to play Data, are they? No. But I don't think this is going to be the Data we think it is, though. No, somebody's already... Before, or... No, no I, I think it's... it's a... Bill thinks it's a holodeck creation. Yeah, that he's like having a discussion, or it's just in his head, or a holodeck. That's very thing, possible. Which is why you could explain. I mean, although, although, you know, because he looks, you know, they well, they have to de-age data, so that's why I don't think we're going to see a lot of them because of the cost. Well, mm. once again, though, if he's a holodeck creation, Picard could you know walk in, you de-age him, you have him you know all thin and data like but then yeah, but the trailer, then he could say he he, was, then he could say something to himself like you know what I'm 25 years older uh yeah, make, well, make yeah, da- yeah. program make data 25 years older <laughs> and put, a, put a put a streak of skunk in his hair and give him chipmunk cheeks which is kind of what he looked like in the trailer I'm sorry mm. I'm sorry to be kind of negative on it but it's like yeah, he looks a bit chubby but yeah yeah the the uh the CG de-aging made his face look a little bit weird yeah no one's mastered that as well as Marvel have yet. The the, the Kurt Russell de-aging in Guardians is absolutely fantastic. Well, some of that was done with makeup, too. That wasn't all... That was, like, you know... I think there was a lot of that that was done that they first put so put put the makeup on them to smooth out the lines, kind of. Like smooth how you put Bondo... <laughs> oh. <laughs> like how, to, how you put Bondo on an old... Mum, you know, those 
muscle, you know, on an old '70s muscle car to smooth out those that wreck you had on Saturday night. You got to buff up that thing. Right. And then you're gonna glide and smooth slalom, baby. Slalom. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <clears throat> I'm I'm getting a whole different Avery Brooks impression now. Yeah, a, I don't have to do the hyperventilating Cisco. I could just do slalom. Slalom. <laughs> I got to work into it. I can't jump into that depth. I got to keep talking and slowly get my voice down. It's like deja vu all over again. <laughs> <laughs> but unless you guys have heard anything else, I've not heard anything else. Uh, no, no. Uh, what? So now this is on going to be on Amazon. What? Where yeah, is this, this thing this going? Is, this is an Amazon Prime thing mm. in the rest of the world. I presume you still have to pay for CBS all action for it. At what point do you think there's going to be an implosion of streaming services? Oh, it's going to happen. Yeah. I, I don't think we're too far off from it. And I, what I've said is eventually they will offer streaming services in a package the way you get cable. I think and you I, pay a certain I, amount a month to one car- you know, one distributor who's going to package them for you. Yeah, because it seems to me you guys have got far too many at this point. We basically have Amazon and Netflix. And everything gets divvied up between Amazon and Netflix. So obviously the Picard show is going to be on Amazon. Discovery's on Netflix. Veronica Mars, I presume, will show up on Amazon Prime at some point, etc., etc. But what have you... So you guys have got Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, the new Disney thing, CBS All Action. That's five. And you're expected to shell out for each of these services individually. And there's more than just that. There are Oh, there's ones. more than that. If like you wanted to watch the DC Universe, that's a separate Oh, yeah. One. There's the DC Universe. Which I we think get, that's, we get that's on Netflix. I think that's going to tank. I don't think I don't see that. Well, I, I think, mean, I, think I don't think what, people are going to pay it. I think it's going to get lumped into some Warner Brothers thing. I think what that's what's going to cause them that. to uh, oh, to stop packaging sorry, Dave. them. I'm yeah. sorry. What did you say, Dave? Dave's I'm already the idiots paying for that. I oh. can't wait for the year to be up. But I, I think the that's the biggest waste of money. I think that's what's going to cause them to package it because people are going to say, well, I'm not just going to pay for DC. But when you have a slate of whatever it is, 10, 15, 20 streaming services, and you can get them all for one price, or then you could start a la carding them but still have one bill, I think that's ultimately the way you got to go with it. Because you know, that's the thing that annoys me. Right now, I have Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon Prime. Uh, but paying three separate bills, even though they're automatically taken, it's just, it irks me a little bit. Well, Disney's jumping in at, I saw a price just three, four days ago. It's going to be six ninety nine. That's it's what I heard. Price. And, which, and my plan which is they don't to get have that, actually. Really, they don't really have a lot of content, because I think you and I discussed this on Bins, that movie-wise, one of the reasons we don't see any big avengers theme movies and all the Avengers characters are basically going to, I mean, aside from Black Panther are basically going to streaming to get those people to jump, to make the jump and get sucked into the streaming service. And I have all, all the Marvel movies on Blu-ray anyway, so I'm not really mm-hmm. worried about it, those streaming. Yeah. But I think the new content that they're going to offer is going to pull a lot of people, including me, in. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, it's, it's Disney. They have vaults and vaults full of stuff that they can put on their streaming service. I've, I've considered doing that six months Disney six months Netflix thing because Disney have got my money for the Obi Wan show and apparently Disney owns Hulu. Yep. Apparently, yeah. Well, they so they're going to package them together or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, well, and I already have Hulu, so if if you know I can get it for an extra four dollars. Do you, you, because you they, have the uh, the because I have Hulu at the lowest level with commercials. No, I have Hulu without commercials, which is kind of silly. 
considering basically I just watch Agents of Sea Shield because I can't catch it when it comes on. And I mean, I do watch a few other things on Hulu. I think because like uh, Lost just came back to Hulu because I was doing a rewatch of that and got dropped off because I don't have the uh, I don't have them all on DVD or anything. So I, I only have season one through three on DVD. Uh, I just picked up up at my mom's. Uh, I, anyway, the Inquisition, huh? The Inquisition, yeah, what a show. Is Bashir under enemy control? You didn't meet with the Vorta? No. The Inquisition has begun. I'm innocent, innocent, innocent. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Next time! (laughs) (laughs) Dave, that's your cue. Okay, you the Inquisition. Dr. Bashir, scheduled to leave for a conference the next day, tends to Chief O'Brien, who has dislocated his shoulder while kayaking in the hollow suite. Bashir wakes up the next morning feeling tired and is summoned to a meeting of the senior staff. Cisco introduces Sloan, the deputy director of Starfleet Internal Affairs. Sloan suspects one of them of being a Dominion spy and confines them to quarters. Bashir is escorted to the ward room, where Sloan treats him cordially, while asking a few light questions, and seems satisfied. Upon returning to his quarters, Bashir suspects that they have been searched. O'Brien secretly contacts Bashir, informing him that his interrogation with Sloan lasted hours and focused entirely on Bashir. Bashir is then brought back to Sloan, who has changed his tone. He accuses Bashir of being a traitor, pointing out various questionable acts, including his sympathy for renegade Jem'Hadar, trying to cure their Ketracel white addiction, lifelong dishonesty about genetic enhancements, and handling a group of genetically enhanced outcasts who tried to convince the Federation to surrender. Sloan presents a theory that during Bashir's time in a Dominion prison camp, he was persuaded to become a Dominion spy, but using a technique that would allow him to hide these memories even from himself, allowing him to truly believe he was a loyal Starfleet officer, then retrieve the intelligence later. Bashir refuses to accept Sloan's theory, but Sloan condemns him as a traitor and has him march through the promenade in handcuffs to a holding cell, where he's treated with contempt by Sloan's staff. Sisko attends Bashir's next interrogation, pointing out holes in Sloan's arguments to no avail. Belayda privately suggests to Bashir that Sloan's theories are plausible. Sloan then informs Bashir he is being moved to another star base without Sisko's knowledge. However, when the cell's force field is lowered, Bashir is suddenly beamed away and finds himself aboard a Dominion ship, where he is warmly greeted by Wayon. Wayon confirms Sloan's theory, and when Bashir refuses to accept this, asserts that they have been through the same conversation many times prior. Wayon tells Bashir he was not only took he was not tortured but made a moral choice to help the Dominion end the war quickly and save lives. Bashir then wonders why Weyoung and Sloan are trying to convince him of the same thing, and concludes that Sloan himself is the traitor. At that moment, the ship is attacked, and Worf and Kira rescue Bashir. On the Defiant, Sisko demands an explanation for the Dominion's involvement, and uncharacteristically, the entire crew refuses to listen to his suggestion that Sloan is a spy, or possibly a founder in disguise, branding Bashir a traitor. Desperate, Bashir grabs O'Brien, 
who pulls his arm away. Bashir is surprised the chief's injury has healed already and tricks him into revealing he is unaware how it supposedly hurt how he supposedly hurt it, realizing that the entire situation isn't real. The defiant bridge dissolved, and Bashir finds himself in a holographic simulation room with just Sloan and two guards. Sloan informs Bashir that his loyalty was being tested. Sloan explains that he is a member of Section 31, a secretive autonomous Starfleet intelligence agency. Bashir questions the legality and ethics of the operation, but Sloan justifies their actions as necessary to protect the Federation. He attempts to recruit Bashir, who refuses and threatens to expose them, but Sloan seems unconcerned and has him knocked out by a hyperspray. Bashir relates the events to the DS9 crew. Cisco reports that Starfleet Command neither confirms nor denies Section 31's existence. He predicts that Sloan will try to recruit Bashir again and orders him to accept so that they can find out. Odo is amused that Bashir's spy fantasies have become real. And that's our synopsis. So what'd you think? I like this episode. I haven't seen it since it originally aired a thousand years ago in my younger days. So I really didn't remember where this was going. And I have I didn't want to spoil ahead. But uh, I, I enjoyed it. I found a lot of, you know, watching it live or, or uh, Netflix or whatever and not knowing exactly where it was going. I was nitpicking a, a lot of points. But uh, I got a kick out of when he's going off to the... Uh, doctor's convention in the beginning and he's telling Odo and I, I don't remember where he's going whether it's Riser or some other similar planet Odo makes some kind of a remark yeah, I notice you doctors always hold these conventions you know like in Palm Springs or someplace like that um, <laughs> I liked when Sloan showed up his first appearance he kind of reminded me of Lieutenant Columbo where he seems like he's always wrapping up but uh, you know there's just, just one more question I have and oh, yeah. uh you know, just, just just one more thing. You know, I'm sorry to bother you. And all that kind of Columbo attitude. I thought it interesting when they uh, informed Bashir that they disconnected his replicator because he, he goes to get something to eat and the replicator doesn't work. And he's like, oh, we, we disconnected that, you know, for security purposes so you couldn't replicate a communication device. All I kept thinking, wouldn't it be easier just to reprogram you know, switch off the ability to do that as opposed to having to, you know, send meals up. But then I realized they were screwing with him with his meal, sending him a meal of gawk, supposedly for war. <laughs> Bill, when you were in the military and they would put you under uh, surveillance, would they do that to you? Um, well, I mean, we did. We, we didn't have a brig on, on the ship. We would, uh, if someone had to be confined, they would be confined in the medical um, in the infirmary as like a makeshift brig uh, because we actually did uh, pick up two drug runners when we did ops in the Caribbean and they were placed under guard in the infirmary and uh, they would be um, they would bring them meals from the mess decks uh, because Paul we didn't have replicators in the 1990s well they did yeah, when I they did. were filming DS9 in the 1990s <laughs> did you bring them gawk no, no, no. Gok, well, I, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> when you ate the midnight mid-rats, I mean, there might have been some gok on there. I don't know. Usually it was whatever was left over from the day, and maybe there was a little gok thrown in for good measure. 
Either that or <laughs> either that or stir fried rice, or as we called it, stir fried lice. I know. Uh, as far as like this episode goes, I really enjoyed it. I think the scene when they're trying to f- fool Bashir with the fake, uh, you know, with the fake uh, holodeck programming, I think it was pretty obvious that that's what they were doing. And I think that's intentionally so. I think they wanted you to realize that something just didn't seem quite right. Uh, and the question was going to be, is Bashir going to realize this or not? At least that's the impression I got from it. Well, yeah. Yeah, because he's off his game because they've been messing with him for hours and, you know, doing little sleep deprivation. I guess the whole, you know, message or question that, you know, to make you think about this episode would be, you know, I think just about every government has some sort of op system set up, you know, similar to Area th- or Area 31, uh, Section 31. Uh, and the question is, you know, does the end justify the means, which is often a question that they uh, they present to us on these episodes. And I, I think that's where we were going with this episode. And, you know, they, they were presenting it from the point of view of, well, you know, there's, you know, the Cardassian government has this thing, and, uh, you know, they all have this, so, you know, what's the difference that Starfleet has it? And I, I you know, think it was a, you know, a somewhat thinly veiled reference to the various governments that we have and there, you know, the KGB and the CIA and whatever stuff that we have all going on. Uh, and and it, it is interesting to think about, you know, to what extent should these have autonomy? And I think ultimately they do have a lot of autonomy. And I think largely we do have to kind of feel, okay, it is necessary to have this, but at what cost, you know, that kind of thing. And, and again, it's it's one of these questions that I don't think there really is a legitimate answer to. Uh, Paul, Paul, can you pause for a second? Hey, Dave, can you put a disclaimer in here saying that Paul doesn't speak for all of us? Thanks, bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Paul, you can keep going. <laughs> Been nice. Uh, we'll see who our next host will be next time on Listen to the CIA. <laughs> Do you think the CIA listened to this dribble? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Bill for one. <laughs> welcome, uh, for one, welcome our new CIA masters. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm not that big of a fan of Section Thirty One. There's a there's a part of me that kind of thinks it's a little bit too far away from Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future. Oh, it's certainly very far from Gene Roddenberry's well, view. I think that was one of the sticking points with this episode, too, some of the backstory I read. Mm, right, because, you know, by and large, as I get older, I think Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future is wackadoodle, and we're never going to be like this, because I'm deeply cynical. But <laughs> if you're if you're sticking to his vision, I don't know that Section 31 really works. That being said, it isn't a bad idea to introduce into Starfleet this idea that, you know, sometimes work does need to be done that gets your hands dirty. And Cisco will epitomise that probably better in the next episode, where he does essentially this very thing. Um, and as such, that casts a pall a little bit over the entire episode for me. As a, as a whole, though, I quite enjoyed it. William Sadler's brilliant in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that you don't know all the way through this episode that it's a holodeck simulation. But there are little clues, like some of the performances are deliberately off. That as you're watching it, you're thinking, oh, that's a bit unusual. And later on, you realize, ah, that's why Cisco doesn't seem quite like Cisco throughout the entire episode. I'm not overly fond of, of some of the ideas that fans have said that Section 31 was behind 
the Enterprise incident, for example, where Kirk goes to seal the Romulan device, the cloaking device, that was a Section 31 mission. That kind of thing. But yeah, let's, overall, let's touch on that a little bit, Andy, before you go on. Why Why well, do that, you have a well, problem Well, that would with make that? sense with how that whole, because that really came out of nowhere in yes. the series. Why, why is that troublesome to you? It's troublesome to me because it's the idea that Section 31 exists and has this autonomy, like you say, means that Section 31 largely exists in the shadows. So it doesn't really make sense to me that Captain Kirk would be sent on a Section 31 mission. I have no problem with the stealing of the cloaking device being a Section 31 mission in and of itself. I just don't like them retconning it that that was a Section 31 mission. Do you know what I mean? Well, do you do you have any issue with the thought that it was a Section 31 mission, but it was not overtly Section 31? Kirk didn't know he was acting for section 31 section 31 put the wheels into motion they might have just made the plan yeah and, oh, and then right. provided it to some admiral in far in starfleet who is you know uh who participates with them in some of their cloak and daggery and then you know then that admiral gave the order to kirk and he has no idea that it's a section 31 thing uh, i'll go with that i like that i like the idea that kirk doesn't know about section 31 I mean, yeah, I, I don't believe Kirk would willingly work with Section 31. I don't think that's his personality. Uh, I think, he, you know, I, I think even Picard would have more problem with it. And I could go with the idea that the whole Vulcan thing was a Section 31 setup when not Vul the Vulcan Romulan one, when when Spock makes his appearance on TNG. Uh but I, you know, I, again, I don't think they're aware that they're being given orders by Section 31 if you were to retcon it to say that that's where the orders are coming from. Mm. I can go with the fact that Kirk doesn't know that it's a Section 31 mission. I'm still not enamored with the idea that the retcon is in place, that that is Section 31, because that implies that Section 31 had been around a lot longer than it says in this episode. Although they are part of Star Trek Into Darkness, aren't they? Yeah. But, but most people don't want to speak of Into Darkness. <laughs> okay. I think that was something was made with that name. I don't quite remember. Well, is it? I've only seen Into Darkness once, but isn't Peter Weller's character working for Section Thirty-One? I believe so. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So, but, Admiral but, Marcus, by the way, Carol's dad. Right. right. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. So, so uh, <laughs> what's the name? Can you uh, can David's you get my disdain for that whole <laughs> for that whole movie? Don't mm. make me go down that road again. I stand by what I've always said about it. I don't think it's a horrible movie. I just think the whole con thing is what's horrible. I, yeah. If if he had just been... I don't even remember what name he was going by before he was revealed to be con. If he had stayed that Harrison? Character, John Harrison? John, yeah, I think that's... Yeah. I think you're right. If he had just stayed John Harrison, they never made reference to Khan, and they didn't recreate scenes from The Wrath of Khan, I think it would have been a, a, a very acceptable movie. It might have been better. Yes. No con reference at all. Yes. I, I, I will I will I will cede you that point. I just didn't see the point of rebooting the franchise so you can go anywhere you want and then immediately remaking a film. In your second movie, remaking yeah. the second movie. I didn't I just didn't understand the logic of that. Uh, <laughs> I don't disagree with any of that, despite the fact that I've been a somewhat defender of the movie. I don't disagree in the slightest with your, your thought there. I think you should just go from the first one to Star Trek Beyond, skip into Darkness. You, you know what? Yeah, yep. you can. Yep. You honestly can. If if you're not... Uh... Star Trek Beyond should have been the second film. Might have done Star a lot Trek... better as a series. Yeah. yeah, I think if Star Trek Beyond had been the second one, I think we would have had a third and a fourth one by now. Yep. I agree. At least, at least Beyond felt like an episode of Star Trek. There are, there are quibbles with it, 
like why he's bored of exploration isn't that what he wants to be out there doing well they could have taken that out yeah but for the most part it at least felt like an episode of Star Trek which none of the others did but anyway Inquisition (laughs) you know what I found interesting as time goes on everything tends to get smaller you know except for our television sets radio (laughs) laptops and our phones our phones get bigger too I don't understand that either Although I do because I can't see my phone. So. Were those the biggest set of handcuffs you've ever seen? Oh, I think that was... They were just making a statement. That was that was done on purpose. Yeah, that was a show. To, yeah, that was that was, that was was the Inquisition. What a show. They were, they were purposely traipsing him through the promenade in irons just to demoralize him. That's why that was done. That's probably... Those are probably... Those are probably Gorn handcuffs <laughs> is what those are. You know, those are Tellarite, well, no, not t- Tellarite, Nausicaan, Klingon, Gorn handcuffs. That's what those are made for. And that's just what they'll do. One of these days, those handcuffs are going to be handcuffed all over you. Boom, 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 <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Who else but, thinks Nancy Sinatra, Sinatra was hot back then? Oh, yeah. Stay on target. <laughs> You know, for such a good episode, we don't have a lot to say about yeah, it. I mean, it's, to, to it's me, one of those. But to me, the whole point of the episode is: can you justify the existence of Section Thirty-One? I think that really is what it comes down to. I think, mm-hmm. the, you know, just to try and take it to the episode a little bit and away from that point, I think the performances were all really good. Uh, I think, you know. Alexander Siddig did a great job of, of kind of showing his puzzlement with why am I being treated this way and why won't you believe me and all of that stuff. I think he really, you know, he stepped up his performance level a little. I think as Andy pointed out, and I don't think it necessarily jumps out at you, but I think the other actors did a really nice job of modulating their performances to be just a little off when they were doing it. And I think that's where we go to what I was saying earlier, that it seemed obvious to me that this was a setup, but I couldn't point, I couldn't tell you exactly what the clues were. It's just that all the performances seemed different. They didn't seem like their regular selves. And that's, to me, that's credit to the actors because it wasn't anything except for their performances that, that clued me into that. But I knew it before mm-hmm. he revealed, you know, before he revealed the uh, Miles O'Brien shoulder thing. So. I, I think the performances were all really well done. I think the story is somewhat thought-provoking about, you know, the need or willingness to have Section 31. And I think that's a bigger question, is the willingness. How how far do you go willingly with, with this area and this, this field where, where you're just letting them have total autonomy and take people's rights from them in order to do so you know what is the cost of freedom is you know ultimately what we always go to uh, you know how much freedom are you willing to give up in order to have freedom and that becomes very very thought-provoking and again this is it done in an era before 9-11 yeah i was so, just gonna say we we now have the patriot act so yeah we we ended up you know it, it, it was almost predicting some things that we were going to get or possibly things we had more in play than we realized even back then mm. uh so i mean th- th- to me there's there is a lot to think about i don't know how much there is to talk about but there's a lot to think about well you know one of the things that kind of bothered me not knowing where this was going at first was they pick up Bashir, they take him into custody now i'm going to admit i'm not admitted to the starfleet bar but i'm going to assume <laughs> Maybe wrongly that the Federation is 
more uh, protective of rights than, say, us today? Ah, I can answer this question, but keep going, Dave. Wouldn't Bashir have turned around after a while and said, you know what, like Clarence Bodica, after you give me my phone call, you know, I have a right to counsel. I mean, if you're in the military today and you get picked up for something, you you have the right to have an, an attorney, even if it's treason or some high crime like that. So why he doesn't make a demand for Cogley, who's probably still alive, to come and <laughs> represent him? I mean, I get where it's going now, but as you're watching, there's no, where's my lawyer? Well, in the military, now I'm not a JAG lawyer, so I can't fully answer this with deep, deep knowledge, but you're under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, and it's a different justice system. And technically, this is a Starfleet. You could say it is a military matter or a Starfleet matter. So he may be under his rights as a Federation citizen because this is treason or could be suspended for this initial investigation. That's what I would have to guess because often one of the, you know, you know how all right so you so you can't be charged with the same crime twice right right double jeopardy double jeopardy however there are some things i believe to where you can be charged under the military code of justice if you if something has happened in civilian life as well now i mean somebody may say no that's not the case you're you're misunderstanding it but like let's say now this is this is a stretch let's say i was arrested and i couldn't get back to my if i'm in it in the military and I get picked up somewhere and I'm arrested and I don't make it back to my ship, I am now absent without leave. So even though I'm not being, even though it's not the same charge, like say then I get out, like I have to go through, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm charged with something. I'm, I'm in jail, but then I'm out in a week or whatever. I could still get charged with being AWOL. So even though I'm not being charged with the same crime, I'm being punished twice for the same incident. Do you follow me? Right. So, but I, I'm not, I, I was never that deep into military law. I was just aware that if something happens off ship that I need to, you know, you have to be aware of that. If you get tied up somewhere, there's going to be a consequence. Now, because. Consequences, schmonsequences. Consequences. Now, because, I'm sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Because anal retentive is (laughs) hyphen. That's my middle name. As I was watching this, I did a little research. Oh, Okay. You're making us look bad, Dave. <laughs> Guy comes on the show. Article he's... Article 31 is the Uniform Code of Military Justice Ooh. in the United States. Section 831 of Title 10, the U.S. Code. Service members have a right against self-incrimination. They have a right to counsel during questioning. Mm. Rights are the same rights as afforded to civilians, but th- their rights kick in sooner where they were saying, we're going to bring you down for questioning immediately. You have the right to counsel. Uh, And also, you're entitled to a civilian counsel as well as a military one. Like, Mm. if you'd rather have Cogley come in, that's legitimate. You can't have Cogley. So that's why I kind of was like, I felt Bashir should have demanded an attorney. And I find it interesting, Section 31 and Article 31. <laughs> Someone had a sense of humor, I think. Hmm. Well, we'd have to look and see what Section 31 is in the Federation uh, Charter. I bet you it's all redacted. <laughs> <laughs> they give you a black section. 
I used to have the Starfleet ta- tactical. Ma- I think I still have the ta- tactical manual that has the Articles of Federation in it. I looked that up real quick. Mm. Pause music of you know. Just <laughs> No, 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 no. You guys keep going. Well, what do you, you know, I'm trying to, to think of a way to go with this, but what do you think of just the argument that he could have been turned and not even realize it? Like, in that situation, do you at least submit yourself to some sort of testing to make sure that you are not some sort of sleeper agent? Because that's the way they were presenting it to him—that he was, you know, he was turned into a sleeper agent with, a, you know, and doesn't doesn't know it, which is kind of the definition of sleeper agent. Um, Manchurian candidate. Yeah, Manchurian candidate, exactly. So, in that circumstance, if you're put in a position where you know you know you were a captive for however many months he was there, and they're saying to you, you know, we think you could be a sleeper agent and not even realize it. What do you do with that information? Do you say, you know, I'm, I'm going to basically uh, surrender and I'm going to allow you to t- conduct testing on me to make sure that I'm not? Or do you say, no, of course I'm not, which is what Bashir was doing? Well, I would say, I would say, I, fine, you want to run some tests? Good, but I want an attorney present. <laughs> Well, and that's that's another aspect of it too. Is like even if you have that love of your country or your federation or whatever that you're willing to submit to make sure that you're not, do you trust them to do it appropriately and correctly? Which is you know a whole nother rabbit hole you can go down that they're going to just use you as some sort of a scapegoat to to make it seem like you were a uh, a spy or or that they may just not care about doing a thorough job and figure well if I got you off the street it's fine. And I don't agree with what you were doing when you were working with those other uh, enhanced people. So even if you haven't been turned, I don't like the way you do things. So I'm going to trump this up and and let you pay the court, pay the price for it. But if you if you successfully prove that you're a sleeper agent, can a successful lawyer not argue diminished responsibility? Yes. Yeah. As far as the punishment goes, yeah. You you know you you would think that you know if if all is done correctly you wouldn't be you know executed or whatever but they might be able to say for your own safety and the safety of the federation we can we have to strip you of your rank and we can't let you have access to you know to sensitive things because you've been turned given the amount that these people end up in witch hunts or on court marshals when are they going to do a star trek show that has a regular lawyer as part of the crew <laughs> You would think they'd have some sort of an advocate on on, on, on the Deep station. Space Nine, at least, yeah. Because yeah. obviously, when when Ordo arrests everyone, who, do they go to trial those people, or does Ordo just throw them in jail? Uh, you stay there <laughs> forever. <laughs> so what you're saying, though, then the irony here is only Bashir could prove that he's not been triggered, but Bashir can't work on himself because he's the one being prosecuted. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Because he's the only doctor on the station, and they have no lawyers. <laughs> That's because they killed all, all the lawyers. Yeah, they killed all the, the first thing the Klingons do is kill all the lawyers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you laughing, Bill. Oh, sorry. <laughs> now, did did Sloan at all remind you at any point of Colonel Nathan Jessup from uh, A Few Good Men? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you need me on that wall. Mm, but who watches Section Thirty One? 
Are you? Are, do you mean the new series they're coming out with, or are you giving a rhetorical? No, question? no, who, no. Who, I think he's who doing who a watches the Watchmen. Who watches what Section Thirty One are up to? And that's that's the inherent problem with any such section is they, you know, how much autonomy can you give them? And then, you know, if you if if you're giving them total autonomy, you have to do so under the theory that they're going to be above reproach. And why is that? You know, why why does that section have, you know, no question to their methods where every other section does? Mm. So, the, you know, that that's where it collapses on itself on, in theory. In theory, if they were all, you know, actually working for the good of, of the Federation, you might be able to justify their existence to some, re- some extent. But when you consider that, you know, that there are good and bad people in all walks of life... You know why? Why do these people in Section Thirty One automatically get a pass that you know we know they're going to be good? We don't. Mm. Well, and yeah, that's we the do. They're good. They're here to help us. They're in the government. Yeah. I mean, uh, Article Fourteen, Section Thirty One of the Charter, the uh, Starfleet Charter, made allowances for bending Starfleet regulations in times of extraordinary, extraordinary threat. This section was cited as a foundation for Section Thirty One, even into the late twenty fourth century. That's all I really found. And you're going to be executed for even reading it aloud. (laughs) Oh, crap. Well, I mean, there's precedent for that. I mean, here, there's certain items in the CIA budget and things like that that are... Well, wait a minute. Isn't that even in the Constitution? Doesn't there the... The the president can, what, uh, uh, well... Didn't Lincoln do it in the Civil War? Like the well, he he broke the con- Constitution. He suspended the writ of habeas corpus. Right, that's it. Yeah, do. yeah. But uh, there's black budgets. You know, Congress doesn't get to look at everything. There are certain right. black budget items where it's look, we need the money for this. Now we can't tell you. That's right. Quantum I leap, even, right, Andy? Quantum leap yeah. had that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's even things that the president doesn't know. Mm. You know, it's not like you come in, you go, oh, I want to know about this. And the, the system is like, well, why do you need to know this? Because I'm the president. No. no. Which is scary in its own right. Andy, do you have a Section 31? Well, that would be MI6, maybe? Yeah, Fine. probably. They got their own black budget? At the moment, we don't have any budget for anything. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Boris. <laughs> is his wife's name Natasha? <laughs> No, he's not um, married. He's running uh, the government into the ground. Yes, he is doing the bidding of the master. <laughs> so, I don't, do we have anything else? Uh, only that William Sadler was brilliant. I don't think we've mentioned him enough. I think he was excellent. It's it's not up there with duet as one of those little two-act plays that Deep Space Nine likes to do a lot of, put two good actors together and have them bang on each other. Oh, but, but he's uh, always not... a wonderful actor. Oh, yeah. Oh, he, I, I don't really know him from a lot of things. I know him from Die Hard 2, where he was actually one of the brighter points in what I still found to be an enjoyable movie. Uh, yeah. I know him from Bill and Ted's uh, yeah. Bogus Journey. <laughs> where, he's, where he's deaf, yeah. Damn straight. And I Isn't know he... I've seen him in other things, but Isn't I can't think president? of it. Offhand. Oh, he's uh, the yeah, president he's, in the MCU. In yeah, he's president. Three. Iron Man. Yeah, he's uh, agents of yeah. Shield. Yeah. And it's funny because it's him and uh, what's his name uh, plays the vice president. Um, I can't even think of his name now. Uh, something Junior, uh, who recently junior. passed away. But 
your your initial thought is, you know, William Sadler from the roles he's played and everything. You you your initial thought is to distrust him. Well, he was in the Shawshank Redemption too, and and somehow like he ends up being the good guy. <laughs> so it's like it's it's almost a little misdirection there. Uh, oh, I see. I haven't watched. Well, spoiler. I haven't. Well, I think that's in flashbacks. He's uh he's in the 2010 remake of uh Hawaii Five O as. Steve McGarrett's murdered father, John McGarrett. Oh yeah, I had I had watched that the first, I guess, like two or three seasons that it was on. It was a pretty enjoyable reboot uh, for a while. Then you know a, fl- a, a a moth went by and I was done. But uh, yeah, I, I you know I forgot he was on that. He was yeah he was decent. So yeah he Born he, was, Buffalo, he was great New in York. this. He was great in this. He 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 almost has a. Uh, like an undefinable quality, like you, you can't really pinpoint where he's from. He could be, you know, have a little bit of a chameleon-like nature to him where you don't know, you know. Well, he is mostly Scottish descent with smaller amounts of English and German ancestry. Obviously, I'm reading Wikipedia. Hmm. Which burned doing my it in a sing-song voice because you're so which, used to doing Cisco. <laughs> which burned me in an earlier podcast this week when uh, we were discussing the... Origins of uh, the West Side West Side Story. Glide, baby, glide. West Side Story song. I'm so pretty. I'm so pretty and witty. Yeah. I don't recall if that's making it into the episode yet or not. So, because I, okay, I, ha- I haven't well. edited it yet, but Bill was of the impression that I feel pretty. Hey, that's was, what Wikipedia said. Was I written by Julie Andrews and from the. Uh, from what, what was what did what was did they say it was from? It said Julie Andrews did it, so that's what I said. Don't make fun of me. Okay. I just said what Wikipedia said. And, Google was right. And there you go. So, uh, and I keep forgetting our, uh, our format here. Do we rate and then give Blaine's email oh God, or the I other way around? Oh, oh, I don't. I don't have a song ready. Andy, oh yeah, can, I do. Can you pretend? Yeah, oh, go ahead. Oh, do you, do you want me to do the song? Yeah, go ahead. Read? Do the song. I'll read the episode. All right. I'll well, since the... I mentioned Hawaii Five O, I don't know if I've already done a Blaine Hawaii Five Five O rift. Blah blah blah. Blaine Blaine Blaine. What does Blaine say? <laughs> what does Blaine say? What does he say? What does Blaine, 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 Blaine say? What does Blaine say? Glide. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Blaine says, Hello all, this is something of a turning point. Up until now, the ethical shades of gray in Deep Space Nine have come primarily from those the Federation interacts with, rather than the Federation itself. Sure, we had Sisko's pursuit of Eddington and his assault on an entire world, but he gave fair warning, etc. This is where we learn that Starfleet isn't necessarily a shining beacon of light in the darkness, but that it has its own darker side. William Sadler was one of the best parts of Die Hard 2, which should have been better, but that's a conversation for Paul's other podcast. And if you're interested, we did cover that episode. Chris Tyler and I had discussed it. That movie, rather. Uh, I also love the differing viewing experience of seeing this on Deep Space Nine compared to the other Trek series. Had this been any other Trek, I would have been wondering whether or not we would actually see Sloan in Section 31 again. This being DS9, when Sisko tells Bashir to say, yes, next time Sloan calls, there was no doubt in my mind that we'd see that moment, and the writers knew exactly when that would happen. Definitely an enjoyable episode, although the way Yoon's simulation clearly tips its hands with the exact food order and Sisko and Sloan's exact words coming from Wei Yoon. Blaine. 
So I'd, I'd say he just, you know, he's saying basically similar things to what we said, only, you know, as always, Blaine is more articulate. That's what he said. Mm. So that all said now, time to get on to the ratings. David, well, your episode. Cover, do we want to cover any other email or we'll do that well, first after? First, we do that after. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so, it's been so long. It's a rock and roll. I like this episode. I thought it was a fun ride. I gave it four section 31 epaulets. All right. I thought it was really good as well. Um, I really can't find much fault in it. I'm going to go four also. Uh, I am also going to go four. Uh, I'm going to give it four dropped uh, styluses underneath a couch. Uh, William Sadler's great. I am great. He is great. I gave him that. Oh, sorry. That's an original series episode I slipped into. <laughs> All right. So that's our review of this episode. And did you want to do some email reading? Well, isn't that Andy's job? <laughs> <laughs> we have a few things from Tissum Tissum. <laughs> all right. We'll do one from Tissum Tissum. So oh, Andy's all. Oh, I, I hear a bit of peevishness in his voice no that was just <laughs> that's his that's his natural britishness coming out oh, oh oh okay got it let us delve into the email sack and pull out <laughs> you know what stay away from ball. the sack andy <laughs> what's in a sack oh pull out a bulging ball of correspondence <laughs> that we can fondle nicely hey come and on man excuse us out it's a family podcast. All right, maybe. And you excuse him while he whips this out. Yep, and gently <laughs> tease some nuggets of information from it. Tissum Tissum, who emails regularly, and I love that the spatula messiah. I love that there's somebody somewhere worshipping spatulas. I also love that he he said he will never tell us what it means. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I shouldn't, but I do. I get a kick no, out I, of that. I, I think that's quite funny. Yeah. Blaze of glory. He's, oh, he's emailed us about Bon Jovi. I think he's emailed the wrong show. <laughs> Listeners, another couple of interesting Season 5 episodes covered in the last few episodes that dropped. Season 5 has a lot of interesting episodes. I admit I'm kind of with Paul on Children of Time in that it's a fascinating episode in theory that's merely good to actually watch. Something about it just seems a little forced, and I wish I could explain why. Props to the writers for convincingly showing how someone like O'Brien could convincingly have his mind changed over the course of the episode. I wonder why nobody brought up the Dominion situation as a reason to try to escape the planet. Surely someone has enough ego to imagine that losing this crew and or its warship would be a big loss for Starfleet. Like seeing a different side of Odo and not reset buttoning the developments in the Odo-Kira relationship the way they could have. I don't love the episode. Blaze of glory, though, I do love, even if it's not quite up to the level of for the uniform. You said a few times during the episode, echoing the producer's comments, that one of the long-running storylines really needed to be wrapped up, and it made sense for it to be this one. And that's not untrue. It certainly makes sense in story that a resurgent Dominion-like Cardassia, sorry, a Dominion-allied Cardassia might be very quickly be able to render the Maquis irrelevant. But I miss the Maquis. The way I see it, DS9 is about bending the utopian parts of a Roddenberryan utopia and seeing if it'll break. It's about its characters and the Federation facing the enemy within when it comes to principle. This is the show that's less than a year away from introducing Section 31. <laughs> How appropriate. Mm -hmm. And so an enemy that challenges what Starfleet stands for is just so well suited to be a major part of DS9. I know all the repetitious Klingon stories were what attracted all the eyeballs, but give me a good Mackie story instead any day. 
Even though I agree that Kenneth Marshall doesn't seem to be the same calibre of sparring partner of Avery Brooks as Mark Alamo, surely you'd concede that something about Eddington, be it the acting or just the writing, seems to bring out the best in Brooks's performance. One final note, I admit I wasn't really expecting anyone to hold me to threat to create a scientific-looking figure about why DS9 is the best Trexo, but you can expect said figure in a separate email soon. Best, Ben. And if we have a look at his next email... He's actually done a graph Mm. as to why Deep Space Nine is the best show. I'm not sure exactly what the measuring jug is, though. It just looks like he's made up a bunch of things and said, right, this is bigger on DS9, but okay, whatever. (laughs) Well, he gives credit to a certain amount of credit to the cast, to the amount of action in the series, the narrative, and the scope. Uh, it's well, just looking at them trying to judge based on you know visual, it looks like he's saying DS9 had the best cast. It looks to be on a par as far as action goes with the original series and Voyager and a little bit more than TNG. It he has it as having the, the f- best narrative, which considering you know we've talked about the storylines and everything, uh, and I, I have, would have to agree with him there. I'm not sure exactly how you judge scope. He gives that the biggest also. Uh, it looks like he rated each out of 10. And uh, if Well, I would say scope is like what it encompasses in the Federation universe, that it had a bigger... Like, TNG was real... I mean, aside from the Borg affecting the rest of the Star Trek universe, what really, through the seven years of the series, did TNG change? Oh, it had a lot to do with the Klingon Empire and where that ended up. It had some some impact on the Romulan Empire. I mean, I think think TNG had almost as much to do with, as far as scope goes, as, as I think it was close. No. I mean, it's close. Which you look on his graph, it is close. But I think DS9 edges it out when you go the, that it was serialized through the entire and how early the founders, the whole concept was introduced and, and that how that stretched through the entire series. I would edge out. I would agree with saying DS9 had a broader scope. Than no, the, the only thing DNG that I... Was, I'm sorry, finish what you're saying, Bill. No, no, the, only, the only thing I would say is you know, he has DS9 rated as number one based on those criteria. And ultimately, as much as I love DS9, I still fall on TOS as my go-to. And maybe that's just because it was the first, but maybe it's maybe there's something else. I don't know. Well, well, well maybe we would have to underst- have a deeper understanding of what each of the four criteria entail from our Spatula Messiah. But it, it is... It is thought-provoking and kind of cool and thank you for your uh, visual that you provided us uh, ben. <laughs> for the visual aids yes mm-hmm. uh, back to the blades of glory though uh, i had an uh, oh so he was saying that that eddington is uh maybe not as uh the same caliber sparring partner for avery brooks if we were looking at it in a boxing term would you say brooks and alemo would be more like a heavyweight fight whereas where it would be like more like a brawler whereas Eddington and Brooks would or uh Eddington and Cisco would be more of a like a Leon like a more like a like a middleweight like a Sugar Ray Leonard like more of a tactical battle or am I just way off on my boxing metaphors there you know what I'm saying I'm not sure (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure what I'm saying either I don't even know what you're talking about I would just forget I said anything Unless anybody else has some, you know, boxing things they want to say. And I've said enough. Andy's uh, big on Boxing Day, I know that. Well, yeah. Because yes. it's an extra when, holiday. That's when the help gets the gifts. Yes. That's Andy when we ta- get the, the downstairs people. Andy taught me that. Yeah, that. 
What is Boxing Day? Why do you four people run around hitting each other the day after Christmas? I don't get it. It's because there's football matches. Huh? Oh, man. Really? They pass the ball? They throw the pigskin? They pass the duchy. <laughs> football is, to, yeah. To the left-hand side? Oh. <laughs> oh, that's a deep cup. <laughs> Musical youth, baby. So I guess that's it for this time around. What are we doing next time? Next time, our all-new episode of Listen to the Prophet Cisco must make an impossible choice in the pale moonlight. Blackmail. We had an agreement! I'm making a new agreement. Treachery. What we need to do is bring the Romulans into the war on our side. Deception. When they're finished with us, they're coming after you. Tactics of war. No one wants to see the Dominion destroyed more than I do. Or Cisco's weapons of choice. As far as you're concerned, you're working for me. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. All right, everybody. See you next time. See you next time. Bye-bye. Listen to the Prophets at Deep Space Nine podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the twotruefreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. Oh, Dave, that's your cue. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wait, that's my cue. Bye.